Uh, so I don't take for granted being bowl eligible. It's a it's a hell of an accomplishment uh, in year two with after nine games. But we should not. Uh, we can be happy about it, but none of us are, are, are. We better not be satisfied. We better still be hungry. There's a lot left to accomplish. Talked about it as a team this morning. The the guys that came back this year for another year when they didn't have to. Zach Pickens, Javon Gwynn, whoever. I don't think they came back just to go to a bowl. You know, I think they. All right. Welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan, and we are previewing Florida Week. Just now you heard from Shane Beamer, courtesy of Gamecocks Online. Um, and that was his Tuesday press conference in which he was kind of talking about like, okay, great. We're bowl eligible. We got bowl eligible last week um, against Vandy, but that's not the end goal. There's still three games left in the regular season. Um, and, you know, some some pretty big opportunities through this quote unquote orange crush where I saw, uh, was it Sapikov? Yeah. I just kept asking about the orange crush to pretty much every everyone this week. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's it's a fun nickname and it's an appropriate nickname. I mean, you got uh, Florida, who's traditionally pretty good and, you know, definitely, I would say on paper, probably equal or better than South Carolina, especially at home. Better, I would say on paper. Um, and then you have two games back to back against teams that were just ranked in the top five, although they both took a loss, um, but still, you know, very dangerous. So, yeah, I mean, appropriately named. And that kicks off with Florida. Before we get too deep into the weeds on the Florida game, I do want to talk recruiting like we do at the beginning of every episode. I think we're going to talk a little bit of basketball, maybe the wrap up to fall baseball for like two seconds, and then we will get real deep in the weeds of Florida here. So recruiting. Um, kind of an interesting week, a uh, little up and down yesterday was men's basketball signing day, uh, and South Carolina fans will be happy to know that both Arden Conyers and Colin Murray Boyles, uh, Murray Boyles, um, both in-state three-star guys, uh, but ranked by rivals, uh, both sent their letter of intent yesterday. So that's all done. No dramatics there. Nice and easy. Um, we are still waiting on Cam Scott's decision from the 2024 class. Uh, could be sort of narrowing that down, but he's got some time. Um, and we'll kind of keep you in the loop on that. Uh, Football-wise, 2024 DB commit uh, Carson Hobbs, who committed back in summer after a visit, um, flipped to Notre Dame this week. So now you're back to just one 2024 commit, which is Dante Reno. Um, you know, uh, Adam Gorney, uh, with the rivals nas- national site had me do like a sting factor for this. <laughs> um, and I, I put it pretty low, honestly, uh, not that Hobbs is not a, uh, great athlete. He really is. Um, but you know, uh, he got offered by Notre Dame after visiting there last weekend, by the way, uh, if you want these little like tidbits early, um, Join us on the Insiders Forum on GamecockScoop.com. Monday, we had the news that he had visited Notre Dame and could be potentially flipping. And then um, when he decommitted, I kind of let everyone know what was happening there before 
it officially came out. Um, so yeah, Insiders Forum, you get a little ahead of time news sometimes there. Um, but anyway, uh, I don't think it stings too bad. Like you're pretty far out. This this staff has proven that they can uh, recruit DBs if no other position. I mean, I'm, that's not me making a comment on the other positions. I think that they've recruited well pretty across the board. But DBs in particular, um, you got two freshmen starting right now uh, from that 2022 class um, that, you know, is still them trying to build their recruiting footprint and they are, they've already got a couple of hits there. So um, I think that they'll recover here. Carson Hobbs is going to his dream school in Notre Dame. It, it'll be all right. Um, I don't see them continuing to pursue that unless the wheels fall off in Notre Dame or something, which it doesn't seem like is going to happen because they just got a big <laughs> win last week. Um, only other little recruiting note I have right now, although I'll have a lot more tomorrow in their weekly recruiting wrap-up um, on GameCastGroup.com is that there are some whispers out there, not whispers, it's from Nick Harbour himself, uh, that Nicholas Harbour is trying to make another visit to South Carolina next week for the Tennessee game. Uh, so that could be cool. Um, although, <laughs> you think about it, he was here for Georgia, and then if you get shellacked by Tennessee, he's going <laughs> to see South Carolina get uh, beat pretty bad twice in a row. But we're going to be optimistic and maybe that won't you happen. also will be making an official visit for the Tennessee game. That's right. Uh, I'm working all that out right now. My uh, wife, who is very much not a college football fan and uh, is from New England and could care less, uh, is also going to be in the stands for the South Carolina Tennessee game. So, you know, hopefully it's a good showing and I can get her a little bit more on board. <laughs> nah, I mean, she's she likes that. Uh, this is my job and I'm happy. So, um, all right. So that's pretty much it recruiting wise. Um, I'll, like I said, I'll have a lot more on the weekly recruiting wrap up. And obviously next week we'll have a lot more on that full visitors list for Tennessee, which is I'm expecting to be pretty extensive as the last home game of the year. Also, um, a lot of high schools are kind of wrapping up their seasons, kind of opening up things for um, recruits across the country unless they're, you know, pushing into the playoffs or whatever. Um, all right. We got some basketball this week, some official basketball. Uh, so Monday night, women's basketball team played. East Tennessee someone. State. East Tennessee they State. They got yeah. a national championship banner. They got national championship rings. And then they immediately went to work on making it happen again. Um, they beat East Tennessee State 101 to 31. Um they're really, really good. That's you guys don't need me to tell you that, but they're really, really good. <laughs> yeah. So you uh, you don't really have too much um, to gather from that. I would say that a hundred and what was that? One hundred and one to thirty-one. Yeah. Um, that that scores closer than it looked. Uh, <laughs> it was, yeah. It was you know dominant. Um, tomorrow they will actually play a ranked opponent at number seventeen Maryland. I still expect the South Carolina should pretty much have their way with them but uh maybe we'll be able to gather a little bit more about what a typical game looks like and the rotations i know i saw don put in like 18 different rotations 18 lineups <laughs> uh yet raven johnson running the point coming off her injury that's kind of your one actual basketball note um she looked really good but i think everybody looked really good on monday um but if you're talking about point guards we know we, i know we have a men's basketball point guard note in here too um that's going to be a spot to watch 
And if you're interested in point guards, I've got a, on the women's basketball team, I've got a fun story coming for y'all tomorrow, probably. Keep an eye on that on GameCockScoop.com. And then, yeah, in women's basketball recruiting, which unless you're watching this live right now, this will have already passed. But here in about 15 minutes, um, is it Melissa Fowiley is set to announce her decision. Um, and everyone's feeling pretty good about where South Carolina stands there. So that'll be something to look back on if you're not listening to this live um, and see how that turned out. Um, but yeah, so things are rolling right along with the women's basketball team, as you'd expect from the defending national champs who are, you know, Don's building a, a dynasty right now, basically, you know, I got a bolo tie this week for my buddy, Matt, shout out, Matt, who covers Missouri. He sent me one for, if I go to Dallas for the women's final four, I can go look full Texas. Well, it seems like he was pretty, uh, confident by making that purchase this early, huh? <laughs> Shout out, Matt. Good guy. Anyway, um, women seem good. We'll see what Maryland looks like tomorrow night. Definitely. Um, and then the men's team also played this week on Tuesday versus SC State. Uh, did not have quite the same level of blowout. Um, definitely <laughs> struggled a bit there. So uh, they ended up pulling it off 80 to 77 versus SC State. You know, get the Lamont Paris era off with a win. And uh, those wins might be kind of difficult to come by this year um if the first game is any indication and it's not like i i want to start by saying i'm not overly pessimistic about the program or anything like that it's just you're thin um you're getting a ton of people acclimated that have very little experience um and there's going to be a lot of growing pains but um there were some high points i i thought michi johnson looked pretty good running the point unfortunately he got hurt two or three different times in the game. Twice, yeah. Um, the first time he kind of rolled his ankle, was out for three minutes, and the second time he got a cramp. And both times that he went out, South Carolina went from looking pretty functional and, and beating SC State like you'd expect a D1 team to, uh, to being in a dogfight with, with SC State. Uh, no pun intended, SC State Bulldogs. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, it definitely seems like a lot of the success um, – or, or not, this season's going to hinge on Michi Johnson's health. Um, it was good. It was cool to see him be explosive and to run the yeah. point both from a scoring perspective and uh, distributing the ball. Double double from Gigi Jackson out the gate. Two big putbacks. One very late in the game for an and one. Yeah, I thought he and the other two freshmen looked pretty good. Um, but again, going to go through some growing pains. Um, you know, the only like negative, I guess you could say, about Gigi's first performance uh is i felt at times he was pressing he had four uh, turnovers also, yeah he yeah. was kind of pushing on offense but also at the same time a lot of that was when michi was out of the game um and i feel like at that point the team's looking to him and hayden brown to kind of uh get the offense going by the way i think hayden brown's gonna be like a fan favorite throughout the year yeah he's i do just, too he's just one of those hustle guys. He, he also just seems like he has a really cool vibe. I talked to him uh, back when he was being recruited uh, out of the transfer portal, uh, right? Like right before he committed to South Carolina. And I mean, I got really good vibes just talking to him. So yeah. Um, yeah. I think he's, um, I tweeted it, but if those of you don't follow me, Alan underscore Cole, um, I think Tuesday might've been the first time in college basketball history. You had two players with a seven year age gap sitting at the same podium. 
Uh, we had Hayden Brown, who's 24, and Gigi Jackson, who's 17 post game. Um, it's just a very, it's a fun dynamic between those two. They both look like they were having a good time. Um, having said that, I do think that it's kind of my big takeaway from Tuesday is that I don't know what's going to be in February and March when these young players get legs under them, get a full season. But at this exact moment on November 10th, Michi Johnson is the best player on this basketball team. He's the most important player on this team. They're going to go wherever he can take them. And that's both because he's the point guard. He's going to have to facilitate things. And also because he has the most talent and experience at this level combined, I would say. Yeah. Um, and we kind of question whether or not he was going to fully like recover from his injury problems at Ohio state. And I mean, when he was out there, he looked fully healthy and explosive, but I do think it's a little concerning to see him go down twice in the first game. Hopefully that's just like a fluky thing. Or fluky plays both of them. I mean, a cramp's a cramp. And the first one was kind of a, kind of just looked like he tripped over himself in transition. Yeah, I mean, it was it was wide open. Honestly, it, it actually turned out to be a kind of cool play because as he went down, he threw it off the backboard, and Gigi Jackson uh, put it in uh, for a dunk off the backboard. But yeah, um, it, it'll be something to watch after the game. Did they say much about his injury status? Um, I'm trying to think now. They said he think he's going to be okay just because he came back in the game both times. Um, right. uh, we heard that. Um, Bosman's Vedonk, um, who also missed this game. He's the Illinois transfer that he should be ready to play some minutes tomorrow night. Um, we haven't mentioned that yet. The men are hosting Clemson tomorrow night uh, at Colonial Life Arena. Um, think he should be ready to go for that game. Um, but Lamont's going to talk again later today, so we'll, we should get a little bit more. Yeah, should learn a little more tomorrow for both the men and women. Um, probably a little more. <laughs> Not probably. Definitely a little more optimistic on the the women's side. Um, I'm trying to see if I can get a point spread on that Clemson South Carolina game on the men's side tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I mean, we knew that this season was going to be full of growing pains. Uh, you have a couple of returning guys, but none of them that uh, played very significant minutes, except for maybe Josh Gray. Um, and then a bunch of transfers and a bunch of freshmen and <laughs> Uh, even though I think there's a lot of talent in that freshman group, it's going to be tough to depend on three freshmen starting uh, weekly, which they didn't all three start, but they all three played pretty significant minutes. Um, actually, the ESPN matchup predictor has South Carolina 55% favorite. Uh, they must have watched the other night, but I don't actually. Is don't... PJ Hall healthy for Cle- uh, this? Is great audio, but is PJ Hall Hall healthy for Clemson yet? Because that's obviously would be a very big loss for them if he's not playing tomorrow. And I don't have that answer offhand. I don't either. We'll have to. We'll we'll do a full preview of the Clemson Carolina game uh, tomorrow. I'm I'm writing that actually, so I'll <laughs> have that on GameCocksGroup.com uh, once I get all that information. Um, but yeah, Hayden Brown, uh, scored a lot of points. Gigi Jackson scored a lot of points. Michi scored points when he was in there. Um, maybe that's enough to manufacture enough offense throughout the year, but I thought, um, defensively they played pretty well in the first half, but then it seemed like they got a little gassed in the second half. And that's something to watch with a team that definitely lacks depth at the moment. Yeah. I think I texted this to you and it's not to you know, kind of cross streams here, but the perimeter defense, which is what we talked about forever with the football team, it, it, it struggled. I mean, South Carolina State had a lot of looks on the outside. Um, they hit a lot of them. They, the three-point shooting kept the Bulldogs in that game into the final few minutes. Um, 
And also Lamont Paris, we, you know, you're always new coach. You got to learn things. He is a foul up three guy. You don't know if that situation is going to come, but he had a chance in game one and he said that was philosophical for him. Not like a game thing that he's going to foul up three. If South Carolina is in that situation again, which I thought was interesting. I mean, that's a philosophical thing for me too. I'm like, with you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm team foul up three. Yeah. I mean, there's uh there's a lot more that can go wrong in not fouling than there is in fouling. Um, so statistic, the statistical advantage is on your side there. Um, that's about all I had for basketball. Like I said, we will have previews, live threads, and reviews of the two games tomorrow, or at least the men's game. And you know, we'll probably have it for both. Um, so, yeah, definitely check us out on GameCracksGroup.com. Come talk some basketball with us. I know that it's tough to talk basketball during football season. Um, I used to not before I got paid to pay attention uh, that much. There's big games tomorrow, year, people. But, got a but, top 20 matchup for the women and a rivalry game for the men. There's this big games, people. Definitely. Um, at the very least, throw it on your radio or whatever as you're traveling to Gainesville. Um, Speaking of traveling to Gainesville, that's what I will be doing tomorrow. Did you want to say anything on baseball real quick before we get oh, fully into um, football? Mark Kingston did his fall baseball media press uh, wrap-up press conference today on Zoom. Not a ton. He didn't. He wouldn't commit on the status of Roman Kimball. It's the Notre Dame transfer pitcher who got hurt about three weeks ago now. Um, just said that right now they're talking to doctors and it's a privacy thing and they'll know soon, which probably isn't what you want to hear if you're a South Carolina fan, but we'll see. And he really liked Eli Jerzenbeck, the freshman pitcher we talked about last time here. Um, I also think he's going to be a big part of this team. Uh, he said, Kingston just said he's going to pitch big innings which that's vague and we're three months out from the season, but that's, that's about all I had on fall baseball. It's just, we heard from Kingston today for the last time until probably February. Well, I, I, I think I also saw you tweet that he called Drizzen Beck the, like the best possibly. freshman pitcher in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, you saw him live and he was the person he that looked jumped, real off, good. The, uh, jumped yeah. off the diamond to you as well. So that'll be a name to look at uh, heading into spring for sure. But no baseball until February, right? I believe that is correct. <laughs> okay, that sounds great to me. Um, <laughs> baseball season when baseball season comes. All right, uh, football. Let's get into what everyone is really focused on this week. Um, so South Carolina has a big matchup in the Swamp against Florida. They opened as eight-point dogs. I have not I think seen it's still it still moved yet. Um, and talked about a little bit on Sunday that that feels right for a road uh, SEC game, especially, and this is something that uh, is kind of an ongoing story, especially if you're banged up the way that South Carolina is banged up right now. So um, what's the latest you're hearing on Marshawn Lloyd, who of course missed last week against Bandy, was pretty limited against Mizzou the week before. Sounds like he's making progress. Uh, Beamer did say that he practiced Tuesday. Um, I don't know if that's going to be enough progress for him to play. Um, that deep bruise, as Shane Beamer called it, that's one of those things where it's like it kind of heals, but you don't know if it heals enough to play. Um, I think there's a decent chance he'll travel at least. He didn't do that last week. I don't know if he's going to be getting significant snaps, especially because I do think they have more confidence in Jaheim Bell taking carries now as they did. Um, maybe they did a week ago now that they've kind of seen him do it. Um I don't think he's going to play significant snaps in this game, but I think he could play a few. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they ruled him out again. All right. And then we already talked about 
on Sunday that David Spalding got ruled out for the season. And then we've kind of heard some whispers, which, uh, you know, we try not to go off of whispers. Uh, so I'll give you the direct quote that we got from, from Shane Beamer, but basically that there's some sort of bug going around uh, with the team. Um, and he mentioned that Cam Smith wasn't feeling particularly well. Uh, also mentioned BJ Gibson. So it seems like at least the DB room might have something going on. But uh, when he was asked about like an outbreak, he did specifically say, we don't have any kind of outbreak. But we have guys that probably aren't 100%. I also saw he mentioned um, several mem members of the secondary as being questionable uh, this week. So that's something to look out for, especially when you're facing a quarterback that can kind of do it all. Um, and is really going to put some pressure on that secondary. I, I guess my only thing with that, and not to like minimize the quotes or whatever, because that's what we have. Um, that stuff moves quick. You talk about flu, you talk about viruses, whatever. What Shane Beamer said on Tuesday might not be the case at four o'clock Saturday. Either way, like Cam Smith might be feeling better, might be out of the system. Other players might have gotten it into their system. Like that does, I know that's not what any South Carolina fan wants to hear us say, and that's not what we're here to talk about. We're trying to like give analysis, but that does feel like a very wait and see thing just because that's how that's how viruses work. Yeah. So that basically don't be surprised if in the uh, game thread on Saturday when we're when you're in the stadium waiting uh, to see people come warm up and stuff. Don't be surprised if you see some unexpected people out is basically I feel like we're going to get a copy of that dress roster. that's going to be like one or two guys who aren't there who Beamer didn't mention wouldn't be there and then we just get the page and they're not there. But that's pure speculation on my part. I'd like to stress. Yeah. And that is not ideal as we're heading to um, the swamp, which is always a tough place to play. Uh, and against a Florida rushing attack that pretty much excels at a lot of the things that South Carolina have struggled at all year. Um, I know that in the pressers this week, people brought up Arkansas um, and KJ Jefferson is kind of a, a comp. Um, well, if this game goes like that one went, then you are going to be kind of kind of hurting there, especially if you fall behind early. We've talked about the the need for quick starts and everything. Um, so, yeah, let's kind of get into it. What do you see? Let's start with South Carolina's defense, since that seems to be uh, where we're already headed. Um, how do you see them matching up against Anthony Richardson and Florida's rushing attack, which it's not just Richardson. They've run the ball for like 200 yards a game throughout the season, pretty much going to have to set the edge. That is the biggest thing. I've written stories about that. We've talked about it on this podcast. Clayton White's talked about it. Shane Beamer's talked about it. Um, it is one of the biggest themes of this defense this year. Um, but if you don't set the edge in this game, you will be killed. That's just kind of all there is to it. Anthony Richardson, of course, who you mentioned, Florida's going to run a lot of, they're going to do a lot of design quarterback runs. They're going to do a lot of rollouts. Uh, you're going to see different things to move the pocket. This is a game, obviously you need team defense, but this is a game where you really need your edge guys. It's going to be uh, Jordan Birch and Gilbert Edmond on most snaps to set the edge, to keep things inside. Um, and you have to win on first down. I think that's a big thing too. Um, you can't let Florida stay on schedule with this rushing offense. You have to force them in situations where they are going to throw the ball in the secondary, which has played really well, had three more picks last week. Um, or no, two picks, I guess, and two fumbles forced. But um, can actually make some plays and get you some turnovers. Because um, if Florida stays on schedule, you're just going to have a bad time. 
Yeah, I think if this this one goes straight up uh, without some big plays, um, some some game breaking plays in the t- in turnovers or whatever, uh, that it's going to be difficult <laughs> to not have Florida score 30, 40 points. Um, now, one thing I will say, so I'm not completely negative. Uh, Florida has been kind of up and down on offense too. They've primarily gotten it done on big plays and South Carolina has done a pretty good job of limiting big plays. They've played a lot of bend it on break. Um, like you said, they forced a lot of turnovers. They're leading the sec in interceptions right now with 11, uh, so far. So the, uh, the only problem is Florida, uh, is number one in the sec in turnover margin. They don't really, uh, they haven't been turning the ball over a lot. They don't commit a bunch of penalties, um, which is something that Shane Beamer brought up. So I don't know. It's going to be tough for Florida to depend on Florida at home making a lot of mistakes. Um, and I, I, they could just grind it out and make this game, you know, short and sweet and ugly. I thought Clayton White said something very apropos about the bend but don't break. He, well, he said that their goal is to just not bend period. You just don't want to bend at all. But if you do, he said that yards aren't points. And basically that means this is kind of going back to the Kentucky model, kind of how they gave up a decent amount of yards to Chris Rodriguez, but Chris Rodriguez never scored a touchdown in that game. Um, You can give up a lot of yards and if you keep them out of the end zone, you can still be okay, especially in this game where you think your offense can probably have some success not to get there yet. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that that is that's true, and if you can keep them just moving the ball between the twenties or whatever, and limit them to field goals, get a couple turnovers, uh, that's that's going to be the blueprint. Because I don't see them consistently like just shutting down uh, this offense led by Anthony Richardson. I don't see them consistently winning on first down, like you said. Um, so I do think it's going to have to be just like yeah, not letting them beat you on a sixty yard touchdown pass or 80 yard Anthony Richardson run or whatever. Um, keep it between the twenties and uh, keep making them snap the ball basically and, and hope that some good things happen. Um, and then on offense, like you said, I do think South Carolina is going to have to score some points. We talked about it on Sunday. We said at least 30. Um, I don't know if that's enough, honestly. So we'll get to our score predictions here shortly, but let's say, I have South Carolina scoring 30 and I have them losing still. So, All right. I got a question for you, Caleb. How many teams in the country and Florida's one of them have allowed their opponents to convert at least 50% of their third downs for the entire season? All of FBS. At least 50% of that third down. There's this numbers in my full preview, which will go on the website either tomorrow or Saturday for those of you who aren't listening to this or are listening to this, but you kind of want to see it in written form. I got to have the full breakdown. But, I mean, it's going to be a complete sh- dark, but I go with what, seven. It's three other ones besides Florida. So four total. It is Florida International, Arizona State, and Colorado. Florida is 128th in FBS and stopping third downs. That's a good sign. Um, yeah, I do think South Carolina is going to be able to do some things here. So Florida, Florida's defense is honestly a lot like South Carolina's defense. It's maybe worse in some ways, better in some ways. Um, but they've Forced a lot of turnovers. They're they forced 16 turnovers, which is near the top of the SEC. Um, but they've also given up nearly 30 points a game. So um, it does seem like they're opportunistic. Um, they've made enough big plays to uh, sort of swing the tide in the games that they've won. 
Um, but they pretty much everyone that plays them is scoring points. And I think South Carolina will be able to do enough to score some points. Now, I think this week would be a great week to have Marshawn Lloyd healthy um, so that you could kind of ball control a little bit more too. But that might not be on the table here. So you're just going to have to find a way to consistently uh, answer when Florida inevitably scores their own points. That's the whole thing this week. Um, and I wrote a little bit last week in Nashville about how every time Vanderbilt kind of made it close, right? They cut it to 17-14. They cut it down to two possessions in the second half. South Carolina had an answer. This is a punch-for-punch, shot-for-shot game for South Carolina. I think, like I said, I think it said it's Sunday, but this is the first time all year I'm going to a game completely expecting a shootout. I think both offenses are going to score into the 30s. Um and you're going to have to be able to answer that. And that's on the offensive line. That's that's on Rattler. Uh, penalties, That's we, we didn't really talk about that Sunday, I don't think. But South Carolina had 12 penalties, I think, at Vanderbilt. A lot of those were on offense. They killed drives, or they almost killed drives. Um, definitely can't do that in this game. Can't get too far behind the chains. Um, the offense, has, this is a game the offense is probably going to have to win for you because you know Florida's going to get their yards and their points. Um, but they, they just are. They're too good. Anthony Richardson's too good not to. And again, this kind of goes back to starting fast to me because the scenario that you're laying out where the offense needs a big drive anytime that Florida responds, honestly, they've been pretty good in the little stretch they've had here at doing that. Um, You think about when Kentucky closed the gap, you had the drive that ate up like 10 minutes a clock or whatever, ended in a field goal, kind of put that one to bed. Uh, When Texas A&M had their little kick in the second half, you had the big uh, drive that ended a touchdown and this week same thing uh vandy brought it within 10 you had the long drive scored a touchdown so um but you have to be ahead in order to here's to have that scenario where you're counter here's my question about that though you just and you're correct on all your points you just mentioned a drive in each game a drive at kentucky a drive versus a and m a drive versus vander maybe two against vanderbilt but can you do that four times in a game can you punch back four times even three times can you actually sustain more than one or two of those drives in a game because i think you're gonna have to to win this one yeah i think that's a great question and and something that honestly this team hasn't shown yet um the closest example i can think of is arkansas and you fell Mm -hmm. behind 21 to nothing there you did finally get it in gear but i i think if you fall behind 21 nothing here it's over just like it was then um you can score some garbage time points and make yourself feel better or whatever, but it's, it's out of reach at that point. So I I think you have to start quick on offense. um, And yeah, hopefully maybe get some, some special teams or defensive uh, game breaking plays like you have against Kentucky, Texas A&M even Vandy last week, right? You get a interception drive um, or second drive, whatever it was. So yeah, I think, that's the formula that has won the other games is the formula that's going to make this one work. Um, the thing is, I don't think you, like you said, I don't think you can have the big play at the beginning and then just sit on it um, either. You're going to have to have the big play at the beginning, have a big play in the middle, have a big play at the end. If Marshawn Lloyd is out, do you, how do you feel about Jaheim Bell getting another 15 to 20 carries? You think that's the best way to go? Should this become more of a Spencer Rattler game? Like, is this Florida defense that has really struggled tackling in space? Is this a game where Juju McDowell could be able to pop some stuff on the outside with his shiftiness? Like, how do you think that would go in the running game? 
Well, I talked about it the other day. I don't know that Jaheim Bell is your best option to be your leading running back, um, even without Marshawn Lloyd there. I think Christian Bill Smith showed you know that he has the ability to break a big play last week. Uh, Juju, if you're um, calling the right plays and not running him straight up the middle, uh, <laughs> has the, the ability to um, be a difference maker. And then I do think Bell deserves carries. I'm, you need to get the ball in his hands, um, especially – short yardage you might be your best short yardage option of the of the three right now um but yeah i i would like to see more of an even split honestly and i would i would like to see bell play out wide still and uh be a factor there too. be a factor going across the middle um on those crossing routes that you know have gone to wells or more often than not not gone anywhere um so yeah i mean Yes, he should be a factor. He should touch the ball a lot. I don't know that he should be your leading running back, but I kind of suspect he will be. Yeah, I, I do think he will be too. I think it, it more is like, is he going to have as many carries as all the other backs combined, which ended up being exactly what it was last week. Um, undesigned runs, at least taking out the sacks. It was 16 to 16 there. Um, and then the passing game, the kind of the creativity. We talked a lot about this week about what was that setting up last week, right? The four reverses, the DK joiner sets, packages, is that just busting things out to set up for the last three games of the season? Those things they just thought would work against Vanderbilt kind of, we saw more creativity from Satterfield last week than we had all year. And I'm kind of wondering what the next step in that offensive, I don't want to call it evolution, but progress maybe is the better word. What that looks like. Yeah. I mean, I, I think ideally you put all of that on tape against Vanderbilt, although arguably you needed it to win that game, but you put all of that on tape against Vanderbilt in hopes that it's giving Florida, Tennessee, Clemson, something different to prepare for. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully there's some wrinkles that, that come off of that. I do think you probably need to see some snaps from DK Joyner the rest of the season uh, at quarterback. Uh, it shouldn't be just a straight, you know, around the corner, whatever they did against Georgia earlier in the year. I, I'd like to see the creativity that they used him with last week, um, but it's a different element, something something that people have to prepare for. Um, and yeah, I think you are probably going to need to manufacture some points again, because I don't think outside of Lloyd, who we are talking about how he's going to be, outside of that, I don't know that you've consistently shown an identity enough to say like this is the thing that we're gonna do and then it'll be florida um i think it's gonna have to be a amalgamation of things yeah I, you're kind of cobbling together together points there cobbling together drives um i would agree with that i am yeah this is going to have to be very very rarely you talk about a, a time where you're gonna score what do we think they need to win this game 35 38 40 plus points and it's one player going off like that's just not you don't get to numbers like that usually um, uh, without kind of offense by committee, without everybody doing kind of chipping in. And that's, that is what it's going to have to be. Yeah. Unless you're Dalen Hyatt. Um, that's... Well, I was going to say, I was trying to like think of an example <laughs> off the top of my head. Like I'm trying to think if there was a South Carolina game where like Lattimore rushed for two bills and they scored 40 or something. Um, but in, yeah. in general, you need kind of everyone to get to the numbers they're going to need to win this game. Yeah, I agree. Um, what about the mindset aspect here? So South Carolina has played three straight at home and then one in a very sleepy uh, road game at Vanderbilt. Was it four straight? 
three straight at home. No, because they, they were at it was four out of uh, Georgia. It was five out of six at home actually, and then okay. Vanderbilt. Yeah, with at Kentucky uh, which, in the middle of that. Yeah, and Kentucky is fine at night. It's not the scariest environment either. So it's been a while since they've had to play in front of a hostile um, road crowd. The swamp is going to be a different animal entirely. Have you ever been there? I have not. Have you? I'm looking forward to it. I went once as like a kid, but I haven't been there for like, it was like a non-con early season family tickets, whatever. Like I haven't been to like a big game there. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. 4 p.m. I think everything will be at the stadium will be pretty full. It should be senior day for Florida too. Should be an intimidating environment. Um, one thing I saw that Beamer mentioned in the press conferences this week is that they have changed up their approach a little on road games this year, which we talked before the season about their home road splits, which were terrible. Um, they've been better so far this season. Um, but he said that they started to go to road stadiums on Friday this year, uh, which they didn't do last year, I guess. Um, so it says, I'll just read the full quote. It says for home games, we have meetings here and then we go across the street and do our walkthrough on Friday afternoons in the stadium. So it was twofold. Um, and basically he was just saying that like a lot of these people, uh, have never seen some of these stadiums. So if the first time you see it is on a game day when it's getting full and, uh, that environment, then it's a little bit more like awe inspiring or jaw dropping. Whereas if you go the day before, or at least this is the rationale. If you go the day before, do a walkthrough in there, you kind of take away some of the shock factor of it. It makes sense. I've heard similar things from, you know, Bieber was kind of running through his head. I can't remember what he said now. He said some of the places he's been, they did that. Some of the ones he's been, they didn't. Um, I can't remember exactly offhand which ones he said they didn't, didn't. But um, it makes sense. And, you know, we mentioned like quarterbacks need to be able to find the play clock. You do that on Friday. Um Here's where our locker room is. Here's your route, all that stuff. Um, it's just the little things kind of trying to create routine on the road. Um, I'm not in that locker room. I can't say if they win at Florida, it's because they went to the stadium on Friday. And I won't say if they lose, it's because they were uncomfortable on the road. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I, I, I think it can hurt, I guess. I think they're done this week than they played last week on the road. I don't know if it was because the environment was so sleepy, uh, if they just got into a weird groove, whatever. But um, like in my rewatch of that, it was a sloppy game. You had a lot of penalties at really inopportune times. Um, the second half, you had a you gave away possession by a dumb turnover. Um, there was another instance that I remember that uh, they had to blow a time. They had to blow a timeout because. Um, Rattler didn't even realize that a delay a game was about to happen. And it was like third and five. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to need to be cleaner. Hopefully this uh, new strategy or whatever helps it be a little cleaner. Didn't help last week, but maybe two, two row games in a row uh, has them a little bit more acquainted with the, the routine of that. Yeah, and this, again, it goes back to you can't fall behind on the road. Um, they fell behind, you know, the quick three scores at Arkansas, and the game was functionally over. You're on the road. The, I know they cut it back to one score in the third quarter, but uh, you're on the road. The crowd's into it. Um, you got to take the crowd out of this game or at least neutralize it. You're probably not going to take it completely out unless you go in there and blow the doors off them. But, yeah. Do you have any other like matchups or or keys to this game that we haven't? Um, I think you have to mention it every week with South Carolina, but special teams. Uh, I know you have a note in here about it. Uh, we got Pete Lembo this week. 
Um, talked a lot as always. Uh, we're trying to get the Kai Kroger Heisman campaign started. Some people asked him and Shade Beamer about that. And Kai, we had Kai in the room this week too. Um, I don't know what that's going to mean. Um, but I did think the one thing Pete Lemos said that was interesting to me is someone asked him kind of if he thinks everything they do keeps opponents um, off balance or if it makes them prepare differently. And he, he said that he can't answer that because he's not in the opponent's locker room, obviously. But he says that's the goal, to create sleepless nights that if an opponent has to spend an extra 15 minutes working on a Tonka Hemingway fake field goal pass, that's 15 minutes they can't spend on something with the offense or the defense. Yeah, I mean, it's no doubt that they've been a factor here. I saw that they are ranked first in the country in special teams efficiency uh, right now. Um, I've seen some mentions of Limbo uh, being in line for potentially the Broyles Award, which I think isn't inappropriate. Um, no, it's well-earned. And yeah, like you said, there was the question about Kai Kroger for Heisman. Um, Heisman might be a little out of reach, but <laughs> he's the Ray Guy he's Award. Exactly. He should be on the, the watch list for that. He's won the midweek list like five times this year or something. Five now, yeah. Um, and last week, I mean, obviously he had the, the big uh, pass to Tonka Hemingway, but there were so many, like when I was watching back, there was two or three punts that he was like this close to just like letting sit on the one yard line and it just rolled over right Yeah, before. he had a 70 yard punt too. Um, yeah, so it, he's... He's been incredible. I think he definitely uh, deserves the recognition that he's getting. <laughs> um, he he can go on my Heisman ballot, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, Ty Kroger for Heisman. Those will be good t-shirts for the last home game. <laughs> he's certainly been one of the most valuable players on the team. So that's all you can. Yeah, I just wanted to throw in special teams. Yeah, I think you kind of have to every week at this point, the way they're playing. Definitely. Um, all right, let's hear your prediction um, obviously it can change a little before you post the article on Saturday morning, but what's your prediction at the moment? Yeah. Um, it's the first time in a few weeks I haven't picked them, but I'm going Florida 38, South Carolina 33. Maybe that's like a two point conversion missed or something in there. I just, I don't, I, I, the overall talent's close, but I think this is a bad matchup for South Carolina. Um, I wrote this a little bit in my preview, but styles make fights. And Florida's style is not super well equipped for South Carolina's fight, I guess, is kind of what I would say. Um, that's not to say they don't have fight or anything, but Florida's well-suited to beat this particular South Carolina team and its weaknesses, I think. And I think Richardson does just enough. Yeah, I, I think both of these defenses are exploitable. Um, but I think you have to put a little bit more trust, trust in uh, Florida's offense to consistently get it done uh, just because I feel like they definitely know what they want to do. Um, and I feel like South Carolina is still struggling at times to know what it wants to do, especially uh, if Lloyd isn't out there. So I have them a very similar score. I have them losing 38 to 30. So right on that uh, point spread, I guess uh, that's a push. I, I guess I'll have to figure out <laughs> in my pick um, if I'm going to have them cover or not, but yeah, right around then. Um, so like I said, we both have them scoring 30, 33 um and still not winning the ball game if it's home i think i would probably flip it um almost exactly so uh, i do think that this road game in the swamp is a factor there it's a revenge game too for florida don't forget south carolina embarrassed them last year it was 40 to 17 and that was not the actual game that got dan mullen fired i think it was the next week but 
that kind of was the here's the door game. Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm excited. I think it will be a game with a lot of fireworks. Uh, this is what I wrote for my preview for First and Ten Florida. We do a uh, other side exchange every week. There's is on GameCockScoop.com right now. Uh, he actually picked Florida to win 37 to 27. That's Jason Higdon, who's the publisher over at First and Ten Florida on Rivals. Um, so we're all kind of in the same same ballpark there. Um, all right. What about nationally? What what other games are you looking at uh, this week from a national perspective? I know we got LSU, Arkansas. Um, that that spread is is pretty low. I think LSU is only favored by like four points. Um, which is a little little shocking, but it's on the road at Arkansas. It's coming off of a big win. Is there any letdown factor there, maybe? I think the sleepy letdown factor is kind of the reason for that. It's an 11 a.m. kick in Fayetteville. Um, you're coming off overtime against Alabama. You sleepwalk. We still don't know about KJ Jefferson's status. I think that's kind of the whole deal there. If Jefferson plays, Arkansas will have a puncher's chance. If he doesn't, I don't think they do. Um, but I still picked LSU to win and cover there. I, maybe I'm falling into the trap. Um, we got Alabama Ole Miss too. Are the wheels completely off for Bama or are they going to bounce back in Oxford? Uh, I feel like they probably come out and win pretty, pretty handily. They're favored by 12 points. I think two touchdowns sounds about right. Um, so yeah, I would pick Bama there. Uh, I think I might pick the upset with Arkansas LSU though. It, I don't know. It's tough. Um, I guess we'll see how quickly, um, Brian Kelly can has established a culture of, you know, every game mattering and getting hyped. Well, they can they can that. still. It's kind of weird with the tiebreakers and stuff because, like, if they lose to Arkansas and Ole Miss somehow beats Bama, then Ole Miss is in the driver's seat for the West. But if LSU wins out, they go to Atlanta, and I think they can lose. They can afford to lose one if Bama beats Ole Miss, if I have that right. Because Bama, two conference losses, Ole Miss has one. But LSU has a tiebreaker. I don't know. This is bad audio. But point is, this game still matters for LSU. They're trying to get in the playoff with two losses if they win the SEC. I mean, that's on the table. So oh, I don't think it's going to yeah. be a letdown. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I think Arkansas is better than their record suggests. Um, they have had kind of an up-and-down season. Their defense is not good. Um, but – KJ Jefferson gives you a puncher's chance against pretty much anyone, I think. Um, I would agree. The We got Oregon and Washington uh, out on the West Coast. Uh, Oregon also positioning themselves for a playoff run, which I don't know if I want to see that after <sighs> already seeing them get demolished by Georgia. But also that was the very first game of the Dan Lanning era. Maybe uh, they are better than they should. Heisman Trophy winner Bo Nix. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah maybe um but yeah that'll be a good one washington seven and two oregon is favored by 13 and a half there i would probably pick them to i don't know if i'll pick them to cover but pick them to win for sure yeah and then um i think it's at the same time or maybe half an hour later uh tcu nine and oh down to the last four undefeateds now it's georgia tcu ohio state michigan tcu going on the road to austin to play texas they got a big win last week i think that's where game day is in austin um, I think Texas wins that game. I think TCU has been kind of flirting with the loss for a while, kind of the way Clemson was before last week. Yeah. I mean, it shows you how much respect, uh, people have for the number four ranked, you know, last, last team in the playoff, uh, team right now, because Texas is favored by seven points. 
uh, five and or six and three Texas is favored by seven points over undefeated TCU. And I think that's fair. I mean, I might pick Texas to cover, honestly. I think so. I did on our sheet. Yeah. Uh, games in Austin too. And they almost beat Bama there. Um, there's going to be a lot of Texas offseason hype. There is every year, but if they finish this year like nine and three or maybe get 10 with a bowl and you've got Quinn Ewers coming back next year, it's going to be a lot of Texas this offseason, those nine months. You have an elimination game essentially with Texas A&M and Auburn, both at three oh, and for six. a bowl game. <laughs> so, yeah, loser is not going bowling. Um, How about Cadillac Williams as a head coach? Hey, I, uh, I thought that the team played hard for him last week. They, did. they obviously came up short, but um, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of the Sean Elliott situation here. Uh, whenever Spurrier left where you are probably getting some gas uh, as far as effort goes, but I don't think that ultimately going to land with the job. Um, it'd be tough. And maybe if they somehow won one out or something, but I don't see that happening. Um, Georgia, Mississippi state, maybe is interesting but probably not no i think mississippi mississippi state's offense that air raids too similar to what tennessee does and i i watched how that went last week i think louisville clemson could be interesting uh yeah i wouldn't even mention that that's it what is that 330 uh yeah 330 so clemson favored by seven there at home um i think they probably take care of business uh after the loss last week but louisville's Looked all right. I, I think it could be an interesting game. Um, and if it's close late, uh, the Boo Birds are definitely going to come out <laughs> at, at uh, in Death Valley. So watch it for just the Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude how do however you say that word? Um, the just the good feeling of seeing your rival despairing. I guess Scott Satterfield um, may be saving his job. Louisville's got six wins on the board. That did not look likely in September. Yeah. Now, will the other Satterfield? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, this is likely to be another week where they score a lot of points. So you got two straight weeks, I guess, where the offense is probably going to look pretty good. But I think, you know, I don't know. Whatever. We're not going down this road. Another, another, another day. Yeah, another day. All right. Uh, anything else that you wanted to hit on before we get out of here? I think I'm good. All right. This has been the GamecockScoop.com podcast official podcast gamecockscoop.com come over and hang out with us uh for the two basketball games tomorrow and the football game on saturday we'll be back here on monday probably since alan will be traveling on sunday uh to review the gamecocks versus the gators till next time see you